The John of All Trades Podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network in the shadow of the mountains. We speak. You have all made it to the dance. You have all made it, made it, Coming to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 152. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And man, there are some shows that just give me energy when I listen to them back. I mean, I had energy all day after doing this week's episode, and then I just got to listen to it again, and I'm feeling good. You know, Scratch that. I'm feeling great. My guest is John Brackney. And John Brackney is the Director of Public Policy and Community Engagement at Webolutions. Now, that's not how I met him. That's not what I knew him as when I met him. When I was in my corporate gig, he was the head of the South Metro Chamber of Commerce. My company didn't particularly operate in South Metro Denver, so I thought, why am I taking this meeting? What am I doing? From the moment he came in, his energy was infectious. And as you listen to this week's episode... But feel that energy too. John is a guy who seems to have endless enthusiasm, more energy than, than I think I can conjure in any given day. He seems to have that as his default setting. And what he's about is creating community, building connections, doing things that matter. And that really comes through in this week's chat. And it's one I'm enormously proud to bring to you. Webolutions, great company, doing terrific work. You can find out more about them. I'll link to their website on the John of All Trades companion blog piece. Go to jonofalltrades.us. While you're there, you can check out all the episodes that I've done, more than 150 of them. They're all there. They're all free. Check out more episodes from the John of All Trades podcast. John gave me some great ideas. Uh, we're going to have some new features on the site here coming soon. He gave that to me for free. So I just keep that in my pocket, pull it out, smile. It's terrific. But listening to John give his history about working in the military, about heading the South Metro Chamber of Commerce, being an elected official in Arapahoe County. By the way, if you want a little civics lesson, this is a nice snapshot of what a county commissioner does. Now, for me, it's something that I've experienced in a very real and nuanced way throughout my career because a lot of work happens at the county level. People don't realize that. It's really where the rubber meets the road. And John gives a perfect analogy of the role of a county commissioner in this week's episode. I won't step on it. We'll get there. It's terrific. He's not only brilliant, but very articulate and just a terrific guy to boot. So there's a lot here. And I told him I'm light on military experience on this show. Sometimes you don't realize your own blind spots. There was a time where I'm like, I didn't have anyone from the faith community. So I've been building that section out, which has been terrific. But I realized I'm not doing enough for the military. And what the military does for this country is remarkable. And I thank anyone who's listening for your service. If you served in the military, you've done remarkable things for this country. And I'm deeply appreciative. That's all coming up in this week's episode. Just a couple of notes about John of All Trades here. First, we're going into Denver Film Fest. That's right. I am invited back once again. I'm an official member of the media for the Denver Film Fest. So you're going to see interviews coming from that over the next couple of weeks. That's very exciting. Denver Film Fest officially starts on November 1st. Additionally, always like to point you to other shows on the Denver Podcast Network. And since we're talking about Denver Film Fest coming up, may as well give a shout to our pals at Real Nerds. I'll let them tell you about their show right now. 
Every week, Denver's own Real Nerds Podcast sees a new movie, and we podcast our experience to the world. I think sometimes we're funny. Yeah, sometimes when I'm talking, not when you're talking, not when you're talking. Oh, you know, it might help if you told them that we're on iTunes or on Stitcher so they could find a place where you can actually listen to us. Oh, okay, Brad. We're also on Twitter, at Real Nerds, and we have an Instagram account. Boom. Commercial, Brad. Cut. Paste. Upload. We like to have fun. Sure. I like fun. James, you're very bad at improv. RealNerdsPodcast.com. Check out the Real Nerds Podcast, good friends of the John of All Trades Podcast. We are also members of the Denver Podcast Network together, denverpodcast.net. All right, let's get to this week's episode. Number 152 is with John Brackney. He is the Director of Public Policy and Community Engagement at Webolutions. He's the former head of the South Metro Chamber of Commerce. He's a former Arapahoe County Commissioner, and he is one of my favorite people to talk to. So, John Brackney, episode 152 starts right now. I'm not. I'm You're not. not. <laughs> no, no, it's kind of stupid for for a year or two, or actually for a decade or two. As soon as I got in my car, I was on my cell phone oh, constantly for two decades. Really? I, mean, I was just talking to people on the phone, so just making calls. To, yeah, and receiving calls, and and so I didn't listen to the radio for like two decades. <laughs> it was like embarrassing. So all of a sudden, songs come up. Everybody. Goes, I have no idea. Jimmy Buffett. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so pure downtime music. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for two decades, I've missed out on music. It's kind of sad. Uh, but, I mean, I imagine... In- <laughs> There's a self, self-help group. There's a support group for this. Yeah, I'll I'm ma- John. I've missed music for 20 years. <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll make you some mixed CDs <laughs> and, and get you up to date on uh, stuff that's cool. Thanks. But uh, I imagine with what you were doing in every facet of what you do, you have a lot of windshield time, yeah? Uh, yeah. I think it's generally better to pe- meet people in their own environment. And so... Uh, that's why I'm here right now. Yeah, exactly. For example, uh, but even this environment is overrated. I mean, there's a ceiling and there's walls. Uh, I envy the people. Uh, Chris Castillian, I don't know if we can mention names. Sure. What a stud. His job is Colorado, so he gets to go biking somewhere and say he's on the job. Well, I think that co- is a skill set. Well, especially compared to his previous gig. Oh, yeah. I think this one is got to be right in his wheelhouse, and I haven't talked to him much since he's- I have, and he's out hiking or biking somewhere. <laughs> I'm at work. <laughs> Excellent is the answer. Yeah. yeah, and he's telling everyone else to pounce in. Yeah. So I've been out a lot. Yes, I enjoy meeting people and traveling, and, and uh, to have a sense of who somebody is, you need, need to kind of go where they've been. Yeah, uh, I think that's a good policy. So this is John Brackney, Director of Public Policy and Community Engagement at Webolutions, but this is not how I came to know you. Um, although we are in your office right now, and I got to say, the first thing that happened when I walked into your office is they offered me a seat in your, one of your massage chairs. Yeah, isn't that nice? I yeah. hope you got a cup of coffee, though, too. We do specialty coffee. I'm here. not a coffee guy. Yeah, that's too bad. We can do tea. Yeah, um, maybe later. Okay. But uh, mostly just for this, you know, water beer. Water is helpful. <laughs> beer, <laughs> scotch. A little, little early. <laughs> okay. But uh, you know what? I like to say it's noon somewhere, right? Yeah, exactly. But I knew you when you were head of the South Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, I remember meeting you. A.K.A. bestchamber.com. Isn't right? that fun? <laughs> you did that, right? No, no. My best friend uh, and a former chair of the board who I know, uh, they created it when the website was first invented. Right. And How uh, long ago? Oh, that was 23 years ago okay. when, when we started doing websites. Right. And they decided to pick that domain, and they had the debate, well, isn't it a little arrogant? And but I don't know. Why not be best? You want to join the uh, – we're not very good, but sometimes we try very hard, chamber.com. We're uh, meaty part of the curve, chamber.com. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, bestchamber.com. No, Brian Vogt uh, okay. thought of that. 
And it's funny because we both know Bob Golden, who's oh, yeah. current head of the South Metro Chamber, and he's like, yeah, I didn't choose that. I'm like, Bob, lean into it. Oh, yeah, it's mine. Yeah, No, <laughs> it's like just own that because uh-huh. that's that's a brand distinction that not everyone gets. No, there's probably 3,000 chambers across America. Might as well be the best. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. So you came to me when I was at my corporate gig, and our company didn't really operate in the South Metro part of the state or part of the city. That didn't stop me. No, of course not. <laughs> and uh, your pitch, and it was you and Manny, and I can't remember who. Oh, Manny Gonzalez is such a good man. Yeah, yeah, and you guys were relentless. Yeah. And so I took this meeting, and one of my philosophies in corporate, and I, I imagine you identify with this, is I'll meet with anyone. Yeah, good for you. Just uh, send me your best pitch, especially in that role, because I wasn't arrogant enough to think that I knew where every great idea was going to come from. <laughs> Some people are. They're like, no, we don't need to do that. And I'm like, let's hear it out. And yeah. so I got great ideas. But what was funny to me is so we sit down and you were immediately almost like antagonistic to my assistant. <laughs> was I really? I didn't mean to do that. I feel like, do I apologize to someone? Uh, is it? Well, you just started making fun of her hometown. Oh, it was probably some lousy state like Nebraska or, or is it? Uh, Keep Colorado? going. No, no. Kansas, Nebraska. There's New a lot Mexico. of Mexico. Oh, New Mexico. I kind of like New Mexico. Was she from? Uh, Santa Fe or Taos? Uh, I think she was from Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. Oh, Albuquerque this is thing? a horrible place. So Have you ever been ba- there? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's horrible. But I mean, you, they put green chili on everything. That's Ooh, not nothing. That's great. I love green chili. Uh, you, you, living here, you can't not love green chili. We're in the best green chili growing yeah. region in the entire world. Yeah. But what was funny is you started just laying into her hometown and I could see her start to recoil. So I, <laughs> I feel fired bad. right back at you. Good. And so I just, I returned fire both barrels and I thought, you know what? We're doing a real meeting for a change. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're actually into it. But you told me later after the fact, I related that story to you because we've crossed paths professionally again now. Mm-hmm. And you go, you know what? It's always better to be memorable than to go in with some just weak pitch. Yeah. And so, I mean, is that something that you did a lot as you were? Oh, oh you have no idea. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got some stories that are just so funny on that that I can't even – well, I'll give you one, but it's really inappropriate for listeners. Please, seriously, do not do this. It's it's dangerous to your career. It's really – Okay. You got to – you have to really like people and have to really – have a good heart. And I'm not saying I'm perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but right. I truly want to help people and I want to help our economy and I want to have fun and I want to make a difference. If wanna... you spend five minutes with you, that'll come, come across. Everybody, well, not everybody, but most people would agree right. with that kind of assessment. I like change. I like making things happen. I like having fun. You're the straw that stirs the drink, uh-huh. so to speak. Yeah, but I also want to do it in a sincere, authentic, fun way. I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be mean-spirited. So yeah. if I hurt somebody's feeling, oh, it just devastates me. No, but the thing but, was, uh, you, you, you took it and <laughs> So when I return fire, you go, okay, this guy is someone I can actually talk to who's willing to engage, which was remarkable. And the whole room was like, okay, we're yeah, doing hey, it. Okay, we're here, talking. Are you two humans we're actually getting talking. somewhere? Yeah. Instead of just like this corporate robotic sort of yeah. weird environment. But well, I'm not sure I'll tell you that one story unless you really press. Me. Oh, I want to hear it. But I will tell you that I'm the vice president of the International Society to Eliminate PowerPoint. <laughs> Seriously, the average corporate pitch is so bad it's it's humiliating it's about how we try to communicate with each other and really if just humans talk to each other and if i tell you what's important to me and ask you what's important to you we'll see if there's some mutual opportunity and make it happen or we won't we'll shake hands and move on and yeah. for some reason we screw up on that now <laughs> i just don't know why so here's a horrible story please friends do not try this at home um a major player in town <laughs> she's still major in town god i feel bad about this one the president of the organization said I had to go talk to their vice president. 
number two. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when I talked to the vice president, and we had a common bond. Um, uh, first, I uh, we went to the same school, uh, college. Okay. And I said, oh, how old are you? And I guess you're not <laughs> supposed to ask women how old they are. Uh, but I needed to know that. That was a pertinent piece of information. Okay. So uh, she, she was similar to my age, which is 41 or 45 or 47 or 51. Or 33. Yeah, you know, whatever age uh-huh. we are. And then I said, uh, were you in a, a fraternity or, I mean, a sorority? Because I was in a fraternity. She goes, no, but I was, uh, I was a little sister for the blank house. Uh-huh. And I, I went, you smoked pot. <laughs> and I, and I, and I guess you're not supposed to tell that either. And the funny, uh, the sad or funny thing is, is for the first time in like 30 years, not a single boyfriend or husband or whatever, family member, neighbor, uh-huh. um, employer, I could just tell. For the first time in 30 years, somebody asked her if she smoked pot in college. In the end, she did. Well, because of course she did. Well, she yeah. was in, Everyone in that fraternity house did. And so <laughs> yeah, anyway, um, we've been friends for 15 years now. Wow. I mean, it, but the bottom line is I, I wasn't being mean. But I, was she taken aback by that? Was she, oh, yeah. Was she initially oh, yeah. like, oh, what, what's oh, happening yeah. Well, here? she was in shock. You should have seen her eyes. She... Oh, because she lied to me, right? <laughs> of course she smoked pot. Right. I don't care if she smoked pot. No one cares if she smoked pot. Well, especially was, now. Yeah, exactly. But that wasn't the point either. I was just trying to find out who she was and engage right. and see if she was interested, see if she was fun, see if she was a person. Well, your friends, was. did did you guys end up doing business together? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, we're still, we, we've done some major things in Colorado in the last 10 wow. years. Wow. All right. Oh, yeah. Well, I, what's funny to me is that's a very similar philosophy to what I have on this show is when I have someone from corporate, if they start reading me their press release or they give me their company boilerplate, like I've been in corporate communications now for over a decade. I can smell that a mile away. Right. You got to ask them something off center. You got to get them off their axis. And the more you can – and I don't, I don't necessarily like giving this up, but the more you can drag someone out to sort of deep water, the harder it is for them to get back – on their corporate messaging. <laughs> Fine, I've never thought of it that way. Which, I mean, as soon as you get them on a non-succeter where you get them off the path, yeah. they, they can't get back on fully. And then you're doing real work, nice. which is interesting. Well, good for you. So, well, and good for you too, because yeah. like I identify with you in terms of that approach. But when you were at the South Metro Chamber, and P.S., what's funny is I went into this meeting and I told my assistant, I'm like, there's very little chance we're actually going to do this. <laughs> Because like I read the materials you sent yeah, over and yeah, I go, yeah. okay, materials, this, exactly. like, yeah. okay, great. Um, I've seen, you know, I know what chamber membership is, yeah. but you came in with such a strong value proposition and the, and it was coupled with your sort of infectious energy yeah. and this, uh, this oblique way of approaching the things that we were talking about. I'm like, okay, I, I walked out of that meeting and I told her, I'm like, we have to do yeah. this. We have to get approval on this because these guys are doing things in a way that no one else is doing yeah. it. Is that sort of how you approach what you do at Webolutions at the South Metro Chamber, everything that you've done? Yeah. Uh, well, so my um, angle is a little different. And by the way, I'd like to go back to that story because um, I was up till um, 10 o'clock last night in Broomfield. Okay. Testifying in front of the Broomfield City and County about right. oil and gas. Right. That is a direct consequence of meetings like you and I had. So not only do those victories that we had um, 10 years ago, whatever it was, they're still going uh, through Vital for Colorado, through CRED, yeah. through the work I'm doing today. Right. Uh, so we can talk about more of that. But to answer your question, uh, my single-minded humans, 
we're a um, social species. Um, we're social animals. No matter what, how fancy we get or what we boil it down to, at some point we want to look another human in the eye. We want to shake their hand. We want to give them a hug. We want to go hunting or fishing with them. We want to cook with them. We want to eat with them. We are a really social animal, and we sometimes forget that. So my single-minded goal, period, um, with every phone call, with every email, with every personal meeting we make is to somehow bond with the person. That's it. I don't want to sell them a product. I don't want to sell them a service. I don't want to sell them an, even an idea yet. I just want to see if we have any shared humanity. And occasionally, really rarely, you don't. you just like, it's cold fish. It's really? Just, oh, yeah. I mean, I can name a couple. But almost And what always, is that like when that happens to you? Well, I don't, it's usually somebody who's... Um, because I can find somebody, something I like in almost everybody. Right. It's usually somebody who's desperate to get out of their job or they're about ready to retire or maybe their spouse is sick at home and they're just really not in the meeting at oh, all. Oh, sure, yeah. You know, so that kind of – so who knows why you can't bond because maybe something really important is going on in their life and yeah. it makes sense that they can't bond. But for almost – I found that almost everybody's human. <laughs> I really have. Almost everybody's human. And uh, so I try to bond and if I can't bond – what I do is I try a reverse bond, and that's really difficult. A if, reverse bond. Yeah. If um, if somebody is really pro-gun, uh-huh. um, I walked into a chamber of commerce, and I, I've traveled the state four times in the last four years, almost every tiny town in the state for yeah. public policy reasons, and I walked into the rifle chamber of commerce. Yeah. And um, It's called rifle, for God's uh-huh. sakes. Uh-huh. And I walked in, and, and she was busy, and I go, well, I don't have much time myself, but I'm from Denver, and I, uh, we'd like to ban hunting. <laughs> and she goes, what? I go, you know, hunting. We don't like it. From Denver. Denver. Yeah. She goes, are you sense. crazy? And I go, well, we actually want to take away your guns. Now, that is a reverse bond. Clearly. Yeah, because, I mean, that's, those are like fighting words. And the bottom line is I was – well, I wasn't clearly making a joke to begin with. Right. But once I explained, no, no, listen, I'm from, I'm a native of Colorado, and I, and I realize you're busy. Thanks. I'll call back. But I um, uh, really just want to talk about things. And anyway, we joked and laughed around yeah. a little bit because they do have that impression of Denver. Sure. Well, I might as well just – Tell them I'm from Denver and I'm here to help. No, you're not. You're here to take away their guns and they know it. I'm here to tell you small town folk how to do things. Uh, this is the way we do things in the big yeah. city. Anyway, howdy. Yeah, right. Anyway, nice to meet you. Uh-huh. So. so anyway, that's the most important thing for me because I figure um, um, there will always be some – Well, here, when things get really tough, and who knows, I, I'm an optimist, but I think there's some really bad things going on in America. Some really tough things. And it depends on where you are and who you are, what kind of toughness it is. Um, but I don't know about you, but when I'm in a firefight, on a military analogy, I'm in a foxhole with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to have that guy, you, yeah, guy in my instance, um, ha- watch my back and vice versa. I want to really trust each other. And I don't want to just be friends with my foxhole buddy. Right. I want the guys in my left position and the right position. In fact, I want the guys behind me, the bosses. I want them to be good. In fact, I want air support. I want a whole team around me when there's a bad situation going on. Mm-hmm. I want a team. And in good times, you want to be celebrating with friends too. But in bad times, you better have a whole cohort, a whole community. Yeah. And so my, my shtick is I want to create a strong community. Yeah, I, and I, I mean that clearly shines through. And I mean you're you, – you use the analogy, but I mean you're, you're a military man, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for your service. <laughs> you're kind. That's uh, 
Well, I mean, that's from the heart. I don't have service in my background. My father does. Uh, he was drafted during the Vietnam War. Your and, dad's a good man. I met him too. And thank you. Uh, he is a good man. He was not cut out for the military very well. He, yeah, me neither. He, he, Why was he not? Uh, he, I mean, he, first of all, he was a college boy in the draft. <laughs> and, uh, th- you know, they didn't, they didn't take too kindly. So you had to dumb it down quite a bit, but just he, uh, always had a problem with authority as I sort of do and you as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, he's very grateful for his time there. And he told me if he had to go back and do it again, he would because it instilled in him some skills yeah. and, uh, a way to approach the world and a way to connect with people and, and a way of doing things that in his words, he finds unparalleled. Yeah. W- would you echo that? Yeah, I, I enlisted because of the first Persian Gulf War when okay. uh, Saddam invaded Kuwait. I Desert in, Storm? Huh? Yeah, yeah I was in um, DU Law School, and I came home that night, and I said, uh, Meredith, we were, I was married and 25 years old, mm-hmm. said I'm dropping out of school and, and uh, joining the Army. Wow. And she said, okay, which is kind of a <laughs> sad or scary thing. Uh, anyway, uh, by the, that was the war that was over by the time I even went to basic training. <laughs> Um, darn it. And then I ended up serving 12 years uh, wow. in the Army National Guard. So one week in a month, about three years overall throughout that 12 years. Okay. Uh, the Army is brilliant. Um, it, I, I, we could have a, two or three shows just on yeah. a non-combat Army experiences. It, Army sure. is amazing. And I found that to be as a married, older guy, a, law, a college graduate in law school. And I still found the skills that they taught to be very challenging and very interesting. And, and humanity is really odd when you go to a place like basic training. Well, it's, it's interesting. I'm a little bit light on military experience on this show. Can you shed some more light into yeah. what is so amazing about it? Yeah. So, um, tiny little bits in a very hard, physically demanding jobs and tiny bits in, in college cramming for tests, combine those two together. Um, they, um, have a way of uh, putting enormous stress on you. Mm -hmm. Um, so from the very first moments, uh, I remember flying into Fort Jackson, uh, Columbia, South Carolina, you know, left DIA at five in the morning. It told you to go out to maybe it was Stapleton this time. Um, <laughs> anyway, Stapleton or DIA um, at five in the morning. So you're, you know, you wake up at three to get out there. So you're already yeah. tired, so to speak. And you sit out there for an 11 o'clock flight and you pull in at three, you know, in South Carolina at three. Wait a minute. Wait, why, why did you have to get there at five? Right. To, to get right. on an 11 o'clock flight. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. You're following me. Yeah. Hurry up and wait. The okay. military maxim. <laughs> So anyway, at three, I'm sitting there in a the little airport by myself. And I was thinking, okay, somebody's going to come and get me, I assume. And four, five, six, seven, finding 11 o'clock at night. Okay, so now there's a bunch of people that have pulled in. There's like 15 of us. It's or like whatever. the end of a 20-hour day. Right. So we get in at one. Okay. We, I think they drove around in circles, actually. We get at one, and you're now you're 24 hours into it. And then they start yelling at you on the bus, and then they you dump out all your stuff, and they're kicking it around. So you're chasing after your underwear that's, you know, forty feet over there, and then there's forty other pieces of underwear and their clothes, and your toothbrush. Where's that? And your drill sergeants are yelling, and you're doing push-ups in your own crap. <laughs> I mean, and so you're confused. Yeah. And they do that very intentionally, and then you get like an hour and a half sleep, and you're up at four, three thirty in the morning, and then you're. You know, you're doing push-ups and you're yelling and then you're marching around somewhere and then you're, you go till like 9 or 10 that night straight from that 3.30 in the morning till 9 or 10 at night and then you have to make a bed and then they're yelling at you for not making. I mean, and that goes for days 
where you're just completely sleep deprived. Now you try to disassemble an M16, which you don't really know how to do, right. and put it back together, which you don't know how to do, and you're sleep deprived, and you're getting yelled at. It's a really cool experience. I mean, it's a... Wait, and it, you're framing this as a good thing. Like, yeah, because um, cause it could all... Oh, we used to come up with stuff. Um, it is so... It is so cold. And we're marching along in the woods somewhere. Yeah. Oh, my God, it's so cold. Somebody else go, yeah, but at least it's raining. <laughs> you know, like, so it yeah. can always be worse. Right. No matter what. No matter what situation in life, somebody could, you could be in the middle of some foreign land and somebody could be killing you. Yeah. It can always be worse. Huh. Um, and that is kind of an interesting perspective because you don't really get that as a, in business. Um, no. I you mean, don't get that. I mean, there's just hard times and there's jerk bosses. You want to talk jerk bosses, talk to a drill sergeant. <laughs> I mean, he's a jerk. So, I mean, if I can strip this away a little bit, what you're, what you're describing is they will almost strip you down to your bare elements and, and firm up the, the gooey little inside that you have into something that is much hardier and can deal with anything. Is that yeah. fair to say? Oh, yeah, in a huge way. And, in fact, it's, it's framed a bunch of my public policy issues. So for my um, entire career, I've been a constitutional, conservative, Republican. I know I'm an unaffiliated, but for yeah. 30 years – I've been a you know a former elected official. I've been a precinct leader, an area captain. I've been a campaign manager. I've done public policy for my whole career. But being in the army, it ch- it changes all sorts of stuff. Um, race relations, for example. I don't know how you can be put in that kind of environment for months at a time, or even more so, go to war and be racist. Interesting. I just don't. I don't think it's possible. Why? Um, because the guy just saved your life and saved another buddy's life. In, in training, you go, oh, my God, that guy is strong, <laughs> just plain strong. Oh, my God, that guy is really compassionate. He's helping out some other soldier. And, and it has nothing to do with race. It, I mean, so what you're doing, it, it will break down all sorts of religious barriers and political barriers and race barriers, the things that are core to humanity. And I'm sure there's racists that are veterans. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's probably uh, one of the best ways to be a really good human being is to have that shared experience with somebody else in a really deep way. And it probably happens for people that um, climb Everest together. Sure, um, yeah. The deep sea dive together to do some any of crazy adventures together you form a common bond but the military is a is a really good way to form that common bond that's fascinating to me john and it it tells me i need to have more military folks on this show because i know so little about the military and you did it for 12 years uh-huh. um I, I mean was that voluntary or like how does that work how do you I, I don't understand how the length of time in the military actually works. Yeah. Um, so I'm not an expert on this, but um, generally uh, people go in for something like four years of active duty and two years of reserves. Okay. In the National Guard, you, same thing. You go in for four years in the National Guard and two of um, uh, two inactive reserves. And so I probably – I became an officer. So th- I, I can't even remember how that works. But um, <laughs> uh, as actually I think I can be called back today still. If, really? Uh, yeah, if the country still needs me. I think officers have an indefinite uh, callback time. Wow. Um, at some point, I assume they'll think I'm too damn old. But uh, If they called you back, could you get into that rhythm again? Well, yeah, I probably can. But that's because <laughs> I've done some pretty nutty uh, trail running stuff. But uh, Okay. In some ways – yeah, in some ways, I kind of want to go back in. Interesting. Why? The the sense of um, patriotism, the sense of 
camaraderie, esprit de corps, um, is tighter than it is in, in sporting teams. Mm. It's tighter than it is in most families. Wow. Um, well, you think about most families, they get divorced and have some weird kid and sure. some dysfunctional somebody, uncle, you know, whatever. Right. Um, and it's a dysfunctional unit, but that's, <laughs> that's one of the fun things about the military is it can be so messed up. I was going to curse, but so F messed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and they still think get things done. Uh, there's yeah. this relentless ability to just to keep accomplishing the mission no matter how screwed things are. Wow. Um, and that's a, that's a fun thing because a lot of companies go, ah, we're kind of tired. We'll disband. Oh, our marriage is lousy. We'll get divorced. No, like we're protecting America here. <laughs> so it doesn't matter how bad it gets. We're, we don't have a choice not to survive and live and keep fighting. That's a really. That's important. That, well, that's incredibly valuable, not only in terms of, and I, I'll tell you, hearing you talk about this makes me understand your sort of what I would call inexhaustible enthusiasm. It's <laughs> uh, nice. Because uh, when I see you, you know, I, I see you, we work on similar projects mm-hmm. a lot of the time. You seem to be doing so much all the time that there's almost like a flabbiness that comes into business that you seem to be trying to circumvent or undermine or make right just by doing as much as possible. And only by this experience that you have sort of in the military does that inform uh, sort of what you do in business. Are you seeking to almost recreate that or like make at least a microcosm of that energy in terms of everything that you work on? Well, I think uh, most... Folks, uh, flabby is an interesting word that you used. Um, uh, complacent, I guess, is another uh, synonym of that. I think most people forget what's important. Hmm. We all do. We kind of get used to the same old rut we're in, and we think we have to file some report on Wednesday or go to some staff meeting on Monday or, you know, blank the things that we do in our life. Um, but we really forget what's important. Um, and so, I guess in many ways, I try to cut out all the fluff, the fat, and go to what's really meaningful. Mm. Um, in both, so in a human relationship, the reason why I want to bond is not just idleness. It's, it's I want to find out what's important to the person. Yeah. And do we have that shared importance? In business, does it matter that you sell more widgets or have a greater level of income for this month? Well, it may, but do you have happy employees? Is the boss creating wealth for the company for his future generations? Right. Is Are you hiring new talent? Is she getting promoted or will she be – you know, what's really important? And I don't think – for some reason, we just get – we kind of go through life in a fog. Mm. Most of us, I think, go through life in a fog and we should – clear out the fog once in a while by climbing higher or going to some other place and looking at it from a different angle and go, is that where I really want to be in my life? Is that what I want? Is that what I should be doing in business? Or is there some, oh my God, there's competitors coming up doing something totally different. They're going to put us out of business. Right. And so I think it's, um, I think you have to be fairly innovative, but innovative is, is an interesting word. I think if you're, if you show up and you engage in a really intense way, in a Mm -hmm. fun way, hopefully, well, then things open up all the time. Uh, there's a famous quote on that. Uh, the world makes way for the man or woman mm-hmm. who knows where they're going. Hmm. Yeah. So the problem is most people don't know where they're going. <laughs> right. So figure out where you want to go and then the world will make way for you. Yeah. 
after the military, did you go directly into Arapahoe County Commissioners? So there, I think they were simultaneous. Um, so and you also finished that law degree too. Oh yeah, at yeah, DU. yeah. I didn't sit for the bar, but I have a law degree. Okay. Um, and so it was a year or two after I graduated from DU that I ran for county commissioner mm-hmm. and won. Uh, what was that experience like? Yeah. Um, so I was 29, and at that time, I think I was the youngest uh, county commissioner in Colorado history at that at that time. <laughs> nice. Uh, a couple of years later, there was a kid out in the prairie that was 25 or 6, I think. But 29, how do you know what a county commissioner is that yeah. you know to run for it? And it's one of the few elected um, offices in Colorado that's full-time. So yeah. there's the statewide office holders, and then there's county commissioners. And it, even that time, I paid enough to, to work full-time. Uh, now they really are pretty well paid, actually. Yeah, no, they do okay. And my dad told me when I started doing like public relations and public policy mm-hmm. and government relations, he said, if you can engage at the county commissioner level, you can do government relations at any level because county commission level is really where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. It's, um, it combines all three levels of government into one. So a county commissioner yeah. in land use jurisdiction acts as a judge. They are in a quasi-judicial role and responsibility. Mm-hmm. They have to, can't have ex parte communications. They have to mm-hmm. act as a judge. So you're a judge. You're a legislator. You create policy, but you get convinced in a small county, you convince one other person. There's only three people on the board of county commissioners generally. In large mm-hmm. counties, there's five. Um, so in our instance, I had to convince two other people of my way. And then <laughs> as long as you do that, then you, uh, we had a third of a billion dollar budget and 1800 employees and and hardly anyone knows what you do and you have huge authority vested by the state um colorado is a local control state so it was uh, you're um legislative and what i was implying there at the end is you're also the executive wow and so we didn't have a county manager we ran the county the five of us is there one now no that's a funny (laughs) story too but no and so the five of us you know and i'm a 29 year old punk uh, (laughs) you know and and uh i had the same or more as you might imagine 20 years ago more energy and people kind of went wow who is this kid um and it was fun no it was one of the best jobs ever to be an elected official when they pay you a salary full-time to be an elected official yeah. it's not an extra volunteer i felt so bad for these council people last night in boulder yeah. they're uh, there till 145 in, in the morning broomfield yeah they're there till 145 in the morning and it's like a non-paid job and they're getting yelled at by their citizens yeah i'm gonna hate you forever i'm gonna see you in the grocery store and i hate you well, you were a volunteer doing that? You're away right. from your family? That's not fun. No, that's profoundly uncool. Yeah, that's not fun. Um, or if you look at Colorado state legislators, they make like 30000 a year. Yeah. And so that's January to May, but it doesn't end there. No, they have to campaign now. Yeah. And they have to be engaged or otherwise they get removed. Yeah, get with their constituents and so yeah. on. So, I mean, that is a round-the-clock job that doesn't pay anything. Yeah. But, I mean, county commission, with the scope of responsibility, it makes sense that it actually is a job that pays. Yeah. Because – I mean, judicial, legislative, executive. You're right. It's all three branches of government. I n- I'd never heard it framed that way, but that makes sense to me. Yeah, and it's a county, Arapahoe County at that time was a half million people, and um, we appointed ourselves to run a bunch of stuff. So I was the chairman of Centennial Airport and the president of a water district, and, <laughs> and I, was, uh, I was active in the state association. So uh, when Congressman Kaufman was the state, a state legislator at the time, uh, President Clinton devolved well, and Republican Congress devolved welfare down to the state level in the state. Hmm. Uh, Congressman Co- or Legislator Kaufman uh, won against Governor Romer, and we developed wel- welfare down to the local level. So, wow! So we had—I've spent a ton of time on welfare reform as a young commissioner, and and we got sued and went to the U.S. Supreme Court over. 
um, Centennial Airport and lost. And then we wrote a piece of legislation and won. We're the only airport in the nation that can legally discriminate against a whole class of, of aircraft, regularly scheduled passenger service. Why? Because we lost in the U.S. Supreme Court. They denied cert. And then we got a piece through Congress and President Bush signed into law. And we did that as a 31-year-old and a couple colleagues. And we hire an airport manager and do all this stuff. I mean, tremendous. We founded the largest city in the history of the United States. Centennial. Centennial. And I did that as a county commissioner with a chamber of commerce guy and a neighborhood guy and then a bunch of citizens. I mean, so it was, how was it? It was amazing. It was a blast. It was nothing better. A funny story about Centennial. When I was a freshman in college, so this dates me a little bit, but so it was the year 2000 that Centennial became mm-hmm. a city. Yeah. They used to have, and this was back when the Rocky Mountain News was actually a thing. The Rocky Mountain News and the Denver Post were all up there trying to sign up kids for newspaper subscriptions. So I got one. The very first day of delivery where everyone sort of has signed up yeah. was the day – the front page story was that Centennial was certified a city. Yeah. So I remember seeing – there's a photo of a woman like like uh-huh. with her arms up triumphantly like stoked that yeah, Centennial – Yeah. Who was it? Uh, yeah. It's not coming to my uh, memory from – she wasn't one of our most active volunteers, but I, can, I picture it vividly. But yeah, it's the front page of the Rocky yep. Mountain News. And right on that, on the front table, like in the dorm, so I was in Corbett up at CSU, was that photo like 400 times in a row. So that photo is burned in my head because whoever was up there gathering signatures for kids to get newspapers. And if you think about that, signing college kids up for paper newspapers now, like we may as well be talking about 1920 at this point. Yeah, they'd have no idea. But uh, that photo was burned into my brain just because I saw it so many times on the very first day it was delivered to all of us. So that's my weird connection to that. Yeah, uh, I have a it's very similar one. My um, on the you know, day our daughter was uh, second daughter was born, uh, we were still fighting um, that case, and we had to. Um, I left the birthing room down mm-hmm. at St. Joe's. And went down and testified I mean, three hours after the birth of our second daughter. Oh, my. And a picture of my wife and I and our daughter was on the front page of the Rocky Mountain News as well. On the, really? Yeah, on the day their daughter was born. So it's kind of fun to go, hey, what's the newspaper? <laughs> it's us. <laughs> but that's just ego stuff. Who cares about that? But uh, it's one of the reasons I'm still loyal to a bunch of Rocky Mountain News folks. So Drew Linden and other God, people. I love the news so oh, much. I love the Rocky. Um, especially the Rocky was better to me than the Post was when I was – just this young account manager or account executive at the time at the PR firm I worked for, the Rocky was easier to pitch for whatever reason than the Post was. Well, they're entrepreneurial and they're fun and they're yeah and more conservative. Yeah, yeah. little little bit more off kilter yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, so the the very first pitch I ever got placed was for this weird fishing derby I was pitching, and Ed Dentry, who used to write the uh, the mm-hmm. outdoor column, okay. like fishing, hunting, like hook and bullet type stuff. Yeah, nice. And uh, I got like this, like the you know, like two inches. And, but I remember I, I cut it out and I put it in my portfolio. I go, okay, I got a portfolio. Yeah. I'm a real professional. Exactly. Uh, good so at you. I love the Rockies so much and I yeah. miss it. It was a good town when we had that newspaper war. It really was, um, it's harder to get good information out. The level of scrutiny, mm-hmm. um, we had a full-time reporter from both papers wow. on the, on following the Board of County Commissioners. Ah. And so now you hardly, hardly get any coverage anywhere of, of, of anything. Of anything. Uh, yeah, people, they don't have any reporters. No, people call it the, the hollowing out of the Denver Post. It's down, uh, it's embarrassing. Yeah, it's, I, it's pretty sad. I, I will say uh, I've enjoyed the work of Denverite. I think they're doing nice work. I haven't uh, followed that yet. Um, they're they're filling in the gap pretty well. I think they're doing a nice job. Concentrated with, in Denver proper, though. Yeah, yeah. So I, so there's a million and a half people surrounding Denver that probably don't have yeah. that. Yeah. 
but uh, you know, I don't know what the solution is. Uh, in terms of how did you know your time was at an end uh, with the Arapahoe County Board of Commissioners? Sure. I um, uh, knew in advance. We went to – citizens voted for going to five commissioners. Mm-hmm. And um, um, so my first term – For what reason? Uh, big county. Okay. And uh, really over politics. It was like over the C, uh, E-470 um, a couple of years before, there was a kind of stalemate over even getting that road built, and the Rappo County Commissioners controlled that. Oh, okay. And so the commissioner got kicked out, but there was a lot of resentment. Then growth in Aurora, and then the older established cities of Littleton, Inglewood, Sheridan, Cherry Hills, Greenwood Village, those kind of things. So there's a, a geographic distribution. They figured the citizens could be better represented with more more elected officials. Whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. I think it generally is, but um, uh, commissioners represented by district is a mistake. But that's what they did is we went to five commissioners and then by district. And um, uh, the by district meant I had a two-year term in order to stagger. Um, and then a four, and then I got reelected for a four-year term. My reading of term limits at the time is that's two terms. And so I didn't even consider from the time I originally ran. I didn't make any pledge or anything, but I generally believe that people should <coughs> serve in office and get out. Uh, Bill Jerky feels the same way. Bill Jerky's been on my show. He did um, state senate, I think, and then he did Weld County Commission. Yeah, yeah. And so he said, I think, I th- what did he say? He's like, eight years, I think, is a, is a proper amount of time, and then get out and yeah. get new ideas in. Well, it's it, we have live in the longest constitutional republic in the history of the human race. And that is something really special. Yeah. And the more people that get to experience the joys and sorrows and privileges and honors of serving as an elected official, whether it's a, a city council person or a county commissioner, the better. I think it's better yeah. for democracy if more and more people do it. Now, I'm not opposed to somebody serving 20 or 30 years if they're really good and that's their shtick and they're beloved. Right. They're a benevolent dictator and we all think that's wonderful. <laughs> Enlightened um, despotism. Yeah, I'm not opposed to it. And if you think about it, out in the prairie – uh, they need to have some governance, but there just isn't enough people in there. Yeah, uh, no, a county true. of uh, 500 people, they still need a county commissioner. And if that's if Joe or Susie's the only ones that are willing to do it, well, good at you, Joe or Susie. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so I'm not opposed to, or I'm not a, yeah. You're not you a know. strict term limits right. guy. Right. Okay. Life's complex. Uh, so did you have your eye on what you wanted to do next? No, I didn't. In fact, I didn't want to work at the chamber either. Um, <laughs> it wasn't, it's, that's a, I don't know if it's good role modeling, actually. It's kind of bad role modeling. I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but my best friend um, at the time, uh, co-founder of the city of Centennial, uh, boy, did similar to military experience. When you have a private investigator hired against you and they're searching through your trash and digging up stuff in your life, and that's what happened when we were founding the city of Centennial. It was a brutal fight. Why? What, uh, what was the problem? <laughs> Uh, so a competing annexation from the city of Greenwood Village. Oh, okay. And, uh, and they're good friends today. I like Greenwood Village. I lived next to it my whole life, but it was brutal. Yeah. Um, I remember those times. It was nasty. Wow. And, um, anyway, so, uh, we became very tight, Brian Vode and I, and he ran the chamber for 14 years. And, um, he asked me to come and help him out the chamber, make a, make the chamber great. Um, and, um, hopefully I contributed to that. And then best he, chamber. Yeah. <laughs> you have to. Yeah. You kind of, you reset the expectation. That's right. well. What are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing average stuff at the best chamber. Oh yeah. Pitiful stuff actually. Really? No, yeah, no I'm, I'm doing best work. <laughs> I'm pencil pushing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, then governor Owens asked him to, uh, become a cabinet member. All right. And so and that's when the board of directors decided not to do a big national search. They just said, Hey, we've got somebody hardworking and competent. Let's put him on interim for a couple months and see if he can handle it. And I handled it and stayed for a decade. Wow. 
it's funny because my dad tells me after he got out of the military, he went back to grad school and then he went into the private sector. He said after the military, everything else just became so easy. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> he, he said the, the problems that you experience are nothing compared to the problems that you experience in the military. Yeah. And so you, your, your work ethic changes and, and the level of things that cause you stress, like the bar becomes much higher. That's funny. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't necessarily articulate that because I get stressed about stuff. Well, I, sure. But that's real. I'll think about that. He might be right. Uh, it's very rare to um, command uh, in a military sense. In a civilian life, we don't want to command anyone. Uh, but in military, it's really unusual to be a 21-year-old kid. <laughs> yeah. And you have, I don't know, 40 people that, you know, and you can be a 23-year-old kid and have 240 people. Or a $40 million machine or a $200 million machine yeah. that you're in charge of. <laughs> And, you know, you can screw up, but, yeah, you just broke $200 million, you know, objecting from a fighter pilot or an M1A1 tank, you know, and then commanding tanks of tanks. Wow. Um, and where do you get that in the civilian world? You don't usually say, okay, 240 people with your guns, we're all going over there. Right. You don't kind of get that authority Well, it's funny. When, when, I, young. when I was like 26, I was managing my own accounts at uh, at MGA. And I thought that was a big deal. And compared to a lot of the lives of people, especially in the PR world, you end up as like this junior account coordinator and then an account coordinator, senior account coordinator, on and on and on. It's a long road. And a lot of people don't get interactions even with the client until then. So to that extent, yeah, you're right. That level of scrutiny, that level of pressure, uh, I mean, I experienced it in my very small way, but compared to what you're saying, holy hell. Yeah. It's I'm, just a, it's next level. It's It's wonderful. What a privilege. So getting back to the chamber, you didn't want that job. You ended up taking it. Yeah. You did it for 10 years. Yeah. I think most people here who are not in what we do, and a lot of the, the people feedback anecdotally I've gotten is something people like about this show is we shine lights into things that people sort of know mm -hmm. but or have touched in some way but understand very little. What is the role of a chamber of commerce? Sure. Um, a chamber is just a voluntary association of, of businesses that of their own volition get together and kind of set their own dues and determine what priorities are important to the community. Um, so it, uh, chambers are a little easier to understand in a, in a smaller community than a big metropolitan community. And think of a, a Lyman or a, a Rifle or a mm -hmm. Burlington, Sterling, yeah. a small town anywhere around the world. And whether you call it a chamber or not, around the world, most people do call it chambers. But um, whether you call it or not, it's when the the banker and the lawyer and the mayor and the hardware store owner and the, the grocer and the restaurant guy get together at coffee or lunch at the restaurant and say, hey, gosh, we really need to pave our street. The dust and the main street keeps blowing in all our stores and it's a pain to dust every day. Hey, how do we pave our street? Well, I don't know. Let's raise our taxes or maybe we, I don't know, we do it ourselves. You know, then you kind of figure out some way to improve your community. And so chambers have always existed, probably from caveman and woman days. <laughs> right. Um, and they'll probably always exist, but boy, technology is changing everything. And so now there's a multitude of chamber-esque kind of things. It's becoming a more, just like the newspaper industry. Right. Um, it's becoming a much more difficult business model. But no different than service organizations, no different than religions. Um, now when you can just f put on the interweb hey, uh, a Facebook page of a new religion, uh, God, uh, God is us, and you create a Facebook page, and if you can get people to show up at an event, pretty soon you have a church. 
Hmm. Well, that didn't happen 20 years ago. And so now more and more people are willing to form all sorts of groups. Um, but it's a it, little bit more diffuse is what yeah, you're describing. Yeah, diffuse. And, and if you're entrepreneurial and creative, it's more fun. Hmm. Um, if you're stodgy and, and stable, well, that's actually a pretty difficult yeah. proposition. I mean, what you're describing is it's, it's civic engagement in a way that many hands make light work. Like if, if we all come together and problems that are affecting us all, how do we all do a little bit and accomplish something great yeah. uh, together? Is it happens to say? similar to a neighborhood association, whether you have a formal one or not. Right. If, as soon as you, you don't need one in good times, happy is the country with no history or happy is the community with no history. Happy is the business community with no history. <laughs> but when something problem happens, people are losing their jobs or there's a bunch of crime or – or there's a drug epidemic or whatever the bad situation is going on, people are going to rally together and go, oh, my God, my kids are dying. Your kid's dying. How do I help? Or uh, we were all woken up in the middle of the night by vandalism. Hey, we need to do a citizen's patrol. Humans naturally affiliate when it's important. Um, we just sometimes forget what's important these days, and we should figure out what's important and rally around those and then yeah. forget some of our old yeah, it, baggage. I mean, what's interesting about that is – and working in the oil and gas industry, we went through this. When you need a friend, you can't make a friend. Yeah. You know? So it's it's one of those things where you get together and you, you come together when times are good so that when times are bad, Love you, you have each other's back. Absolutely. So It's a great core. Fl- I hope everybody we meet adopts it, either believes in that or will learn to know that to be true. Yeah. It, what's What's remarkable to me, too, hearing you describe this, seeking to create communities. First of all, before I get there, what facilitated you wanting to or leaving the chamber? Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult um, uh, path. So I kind of wanted to leave years before, mm-hmm. but then that great recession thing happened. <laughs> and uh, and I really couldn't leave the chamber in a, in a lurch. Yeah. And so um, I, I would have, if my preference, if I would had some master plan, it would have been to serve for a couple of years or maybe three or four or five yeah. and then move on. Then I kind of got stuck there. Um, and so time was, time was right. So I'm looking for an opportunity, um, at any time to move on. Uh, the place I work now is a former chair of the board and, and we became friends early on and, and, uh, to do communications, um, to do, um, how to convey information, how to make connections, how to strengthen a community. Um, I'm able to do that now in the private sector without all the burdens that comes with a, a big not-for-profit established yeah. organization. Is that refreshing to you? Do you, oh, yeah. Like, do, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it seems like possibly less pressure. Yeah. Well, it's just in a different type of pressure. Um, you know, I've lived a pretty public life. Um, so I used to manage campaigns and then mm-hmm. serving in office and then being a, <laughs> Uh, CEO of a pretty big organization. Every word I would say is kind of scrutinized by somebody, either a member of the board, by staff, by big clients, by former clients, by by a competing organization, by the media. And not that I had to live a pure life by any imagine, stretch of the imagination. Um, I'm not perfect again. I'm, I'm human. But you're constantly under the you're late to a meeting. You're early to a meeting. You're what are you wearing? You're dressed up or you're not? Just everything. Your hair. Hey, you grew a beard. You know, really? Can I just have any life? Um, and so, so you're under the microscope. Yeah, and, and as an elected official and at a major organization like that, so to work in the private sector now is a big relief. That really, no one cares if I shaved or didn't shave or have longer hair or have a tie on. No one cares. Right. And that's nice <laughs> that no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> Yet. What's so remarkable is we became friends on Facebook after I left my corporate gig where I used to wall off my Facebook from 
pretty much everything that was job related. I, I didn't accept any friendships from anyone that I, I dealt with professionally just because, again, separation of church and state a mm-hmm. little bit. On your page, your desire to create community, I think you're willing to tackle issues head on that not everyone else is willing to. For instance, mm-hmm. you've had a post or two about the NFL player protests. Yeah. Again, it's almost like you're willfully putting yourself back under the microscope. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's a hard dynamic. Uh, I guess I can't answer that. And it's the basically the core philosophy that goes throughout my life, um, that we're all here to make a difference in some way. Mm-hmm. And so whether that's um, as a family person or um, a service organization, a coach, an athletics or a Boy Scout leader or a church leader, in whatever that manifests itself, I think people should should really make an impact beyond their own body, and I prefer over their own family. And there mm-hmm. are some family-centric people that just that's everything, and it's that's our tribe, and right. we're going to make sure our tribe succeeds, and it's up to other tribes to make their tribe succeed. I'd rather go at least another layer or two, a neighborhood, a community. Yeah. I prefer state, <laughs> and I kind of like nation, too. Do I care about the world? Yeah, but God, somebody else has got to help share that responsibility. Yeah, that's a, that's big. It's just a little big. And so um, I've uh, worked very hard to constantly be beyond myself and trying to move society along. And if we're constantly hating each other over stuff as significant as, uh, on one side, patriotism and I love America and I love our police and our military and you're disrespecting something that I'm willing to fight and die for. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a pretty hard fought thing. I'd still kind of, I still, my personal preference is to punch somebody in the nose who burns a flag. Mm. I kind of viscerally want to punch that person. Yeah. But I also hear myself go, do you really, <laughs> really, you want to go punch him? Yeah. You Really? Well, okay, not really, but kind of, but yeah. But uh, but I understand but that impulse the, is there, yeah. Yeah, but I understand people that really don't have that mental break that are just going to go punch them. Yeah, you get that. They're not as self-reflexive. Yeah, sure. And then on the other side, um, if you have any um, empathy, and let me go to the bottom line on this. Um, we have two girls, twenty-one and eighteen, and to this moment, uh, Meredith and I have still not taught them how to engage around police. I have this fundamental belief, similar to patriotism in the flag, that the police are there to protect and serve. And I don't care if it's an Asian or a woman or a gay or a black or a wasp. I have no concern what color, faith, or background that cop is. If they're wearing a uniform, that person works for me and they're there to protect me. Mm-hmm. I don't need to teach our daughters that keep your hand on the steering wheel, don't make any weird motions, <laughs> don't do anything unusual. However, I have enough black friends that that is completely 100% the opposite. It is to a T that they teach their particularly young men how to engage around police officers. Wow. I'm not saying – I'm saying that that sucks. Yeah. Just that. I have enough empathy to realize that, wait, why do I not have to do that but they have to? There's some problem we as society should figure out. And I'm not saying the protests are the right way to do it. Um, but on the other hand, we're all talking about it. Now, we're not talking about the right thing yet, which right. gets me back in the focus. But but we are at least talking about it. And so I'm intentionally putting that out to the world in a different perspective to see if I can at least have somebody go, ah, okay, I'm willing to listen. You I think that's where yet, it is. But I'm willing to listen. 
Yeah, let, let's let's listen. Let's let's get beyond sort of the visceral knee jerk reaction and say, okay, what are they trying to tell me? Let's listen and let's have a conversation and let's let's move beyond the first layer of meaning. Yep. I think that's valuable. Given your past as someone in a leadership role, both as an elected official and working for big organizations such as you did, do people still look to you to almost be a leader, even though you're in the private sector? Yeah, I like um, do you feel that? Is that is that pressure? Is that real or imagined? I I don't know. It's um it's one of the great privileges of my career. Almost every day, if not every day, I get private IMs from people. Mm. Um, thanks for that post. I've printed that off. Wow. I got that yesterday. Hmm. Well, that's nice. I, I, I'm, I'm going to talk to my husband about this. Hmm. I'm going to try to implement almost every day. I get positive feedback from digital electrons sent out to the world. So yes, there's some ego in that. There's some, uh, sense of, um, belonging, some strokes that are positive, hopefully good and bad. Probably. Um, I think Generally, once you get that leadership bug, um, it's pretty hard to totally not be a leader. I don't know. It's kind of a skill set just like anything else. It's almost else. like you can't turn it off. Yeah. You go to any neighborhood association or any business meeting and there's not, it's not really particularly being run well and you kind of just <laughs> go, hey, why don't we at least reach one conclusion today? And yeah. you kind of voice up. And whether they think you're a leader or a jerk, it can be both. Yeah, let's let's put a little skeleton structure here. Yeah, yeah. it just kind of happens. That's and I think funny. that's an honor and a privilege, and it's one that I hope um, I have until I die. Does it ever wear you down, though? Um, not the – well, okay, here's – and boy, am I human. <laughs> if it's self-centered ego – leadership. Yeah, that's hard cuz then you always have to be looking exactly the same yeah. ahead of everyone else. You have to be faster, stronger, you have to look better, you have to be more kind and more disciplined. If it's self-centered ego leadership, that would be a burden. If your desire in leadership is to have other people have a chance to be a leader, other people to become better, other people to step up, well then it's more of coaching, it's more mm -hmm. of um a friendship. It's more mentoring. It's more, hey, come on, let's try to do something. And it's a shared burden. Uh, so it's not actually a burden at all because if you fail, well, you were trying to help somebody accomplish whatever they wanted to accomplish, not what you wanted to accomplish. Yeah. And so that's not a burden at all. That's an honor. That's a privilege. Wow. It's just, ah, thank God, what an opportunity I have to help somebody do what they want to do. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, John, I, it's a real honor and a privilege for me to drag you back into the public spotlight. <laughs> You're um, I, I know it's not, uh, it wasn't a real tough sell to do it necessarily, but to get to hear this in this way, I think is just a, a huge thrill and I appreciate it greatly. Oh, back at you. So this is the part in the show where we do plugs. Feel free to plug Webolutions. Where can people find you? Anything you want to plug right now, it's all yours. Well, I don't really plug my own organizations much. So let me just do it in this way. Yeah. Uh, it's an amazing world now. Um, Seven billion people and two billion people. And you take out China and North Korea and I think it's uh, – is it Pakistan? There's one in the Middle East. Um, there's only three countries in the world that ban Facebook, for example. Huh. So there's seven billion people in the world and you can take out a billion five in China alone. And, um, uh, and two billion people are on Facebook each month. Wow. One billion people check their Facebook account every single day. Hmm. That has never happened in the history of the human race from Garden and Garden of Eden. 
maybe they could communicate or maybe they yeah, couldn't. Yeah. But now to have one-fifth of everybody minus China um, checking the same communication tool every day. So that means that each one of us has a role and responsibility to put the message out to the world that we want to put out that's important. And if it's important enough, Archimedes said um, – um, give me a lever, um, uh, give me a, a fulcrum strong enough, and a, uh, I think it was a lever long enough, and I can move the world. Yeah. Facebook, just by one example, can move the world. If your message is important enough, um, you can change the world. One human being can, and you don't have to be a dictator or uh, have divine intervention. Yeah. You don't have to be a military hunter to do this. You can have, be one person with an important message. Uh, what I do is I help people with that message. Hmm. So both corporately at Webolutions or civically in my community leadership role, if somebody's trying to get their message out and make an impact in society, I want to be your partner. God, you're a good dude, man. And uh, thanks for being on the show. And you know what, John? Continued success to you. Keep doing what you're doing. You're kind. This was a privilege for me, John. That wraps up episode 152 of the John of All Trades podcast. Big thanks to John Brackney for taking some time out of his day. He's got a ton going on. And if you haven't had the privilege of interacting with him in a real way, you really need to because he will brighten your day and he will make you see things in a brand new way. So thanks, John, for being on the show and for everything that you do. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. And our sponsor is 4Degrees number four d-e-g-r-e dot e-s if you are doing anything online four degrees can help you do it better whether you're selling a service whether you're trying to get a candidate in front of the right group of constituents four degrees can help you get in front of the right communities and at a cost that's very attractive so check them out on the web the number four d-e-g-r-e dot e-s john of all trades podcast is on social media j-o-a-t pod is the handle for facebook twitter snapchat and pinterest Four great platforms for getting in touch with the John of All Trades podcast. New episodes are typically previewed on Monday, and then they drop on Wednesday. Available on iTunes and Stitcher. Just search John of All Trades. You'll find us there. Give us a rating. Give us a review. And I say usually because we're coming up on the Denver Film Fest. I don't know exactly what the schedule's going to be, but you can expect more than one episode from them. Those will come out when they come out. Really exciting times. I love the Denver Film Fest, and I'm deeply appreciative to be invited back. So, until I hear you back here again, say goodnight, crazy. That's good, Johnny. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak.